What a, what a thought that, uh, you know, as we end our message today, that's the picture we're going to see in Revelation, that Jesus is going to be the King of kings and Lord of lords. I'll invite you to turn with me to Revelation chapter 8, Revelation 8, and uh, in case you don't know, my name is John, and uh, I'm blessed to serve as a pastor here, and uh, thank you for being here. We are in week five of our series entitled Final destination. And what we understand through reading of Scripture is that we are all eternal beings. We're going to spend an eternity somewhere, really one of two places, either in a place called heaven or a place called hell. And our job as followers of Jesus is to tell as many people as we can how they can be prepared for their final destination. And really, that's what we're doing as we walk through the book of Revelation. I always start out the service with a statement so those of you that are normal, well, none of you are normal. Those of you who are regular around here, you guys will know. The rest of you will catch on. Ready? God is good. And all the time. And so as we be- begin into this new study, or in Revelation chapter 8 today, we're going to cover a lot of ground. And, and uh, as you know, we're kind of giving you this flyover view of the book of Revelation. We could spend a lot of time digging into all the imagery and the symbolism, but we're just trying to give you a quick overview of the book. The book was written by the Apostle John uh, around 95 AD. He was exiled to the island of Patmos as a prisoner of Rome because he would not stop preaching the name we just sang about, the name of Jesus. There's something about that name, isn't it? The wonderful name of Jesus. And so as he's on the island, exiled, he has a vision from Christ, and he writes the book of Revelation. It goes as a warning of future events, but I don't think the intent was just to scare us. I think the intent is to prepare us. And there's a basic, like, skeleton outline of the entire book in verse number 19 of Revelation chapter 1. So we've read this every week just to kind of help us understand the structure of the book. Revelation 1:19 says this, write the things which you have seen, the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. So the three really breakdowns of the book. The things that you have seen reference chapter 1 when he saw a vision of Christ. The things which are reference chapter 2 and 3 as he wrote specific letters to seven specific churches in Asia Minor. And then the things which will take place really are chapters 4 through 22. Now, I believe as we think about eschatology, right, the study of the end times, I believe that the church will be raptured out and we will get to avoid the seven-year period known as the Great Tribulation period. Okay. Now, in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, John is taken up to heaven and I believe that John is a type of the church here, that he's taken up away from into heaven, escaping the rest of the book of Revelation, which really tells us about the seven-year period. So in chapter 6 through 18, the things which are to take place really are referencing the seven, for the most part, it's all about the seven-year period known as the tribulation, when God is going to judge all the earth. Now, sometimes, especially maybe if you're not 
around church a lot, and maybe even if you are around church a lot, you, you, you think mostly about God being love. In fact, it doesn't say, the scripture doesn't say that God does love, it just simply says God is love. Like that's his nature, it's who he is. But we also understand because God is love, he is also just. And, and he has to punish sin. He has, there, there has to be judgment. We also see all throughout scripture that when God brings judgment upon the nation of Israel or upon the church or even discipline upon me as a follower of Jesus, there's always a purpose in it. The purpose is to bring me or the nation of Israel or the church to repentance, that we are to come back to Christ. And we're even going to see at the end of the book here or in, the, in, the, in our study this morning, we're going to see after all these judgments that well, we're going to see the heart of God revealed in, in something that doesn't take place, something that doesn't happen. So last week we looked at the first set of seven. So in the book of Revelation, during the tribulation period, what we see unfold is three sets of sevens, and they all represent judgment. Last week we looked at the seven seals, and Jesus, and if you remember in chapter five, he was the only one worthy to take the scroll from the hand of God. And as he unsealed seven seals in the scroll, we saw the seven judgments unfolded. Today we're going to see the seven trumpets. The last seal that Jesus opened up really referenced, hey, next thing that's going to happen is there's going to be seven angels. These seven angels are going to blast seven trumpets. And really the blasting of the trumpets is just an unfolding of seven more judgments on the earth. So with that context kind of laid out for you in a quick manner this morning, we find ourselves in Revelation 8, 1 through 7, and we're going to read the part where we finished last Sunday, all right? So Revelation 8, and we're going to begin in, in verse number 1. When he, all right, the he there is Jesus. When Jesus opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I think it just speaks to the nature of judgments that are coming. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Then another angel, having golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense, that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar, which was before the throne. The smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And remember, we looked in Revelation chapter 5, verse 8. When we talked about the prayers of the saints were collected, and we see that every prayer we've ever prayed as a follower of Jesus has been recorded. It also says that in Psalm 141, verses 1 through 2. So we just have another reference here. Verse 5, the angel took the censer, he filled it with fire from the altar, he threw it to the earth, and there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. So the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So again, we see the seventh seal really simply introduces now the seven trumpets, which are going to be more judgment. The first four judgments are judgments poured upon the earth. They're on creation. The next three trumpets, the judgments, also known as the three woes, which we're going to read in a moment, are judgments placed upon mankind. You'll also see some parallels to... Uh, the plagues in Egypt that God put on Egypt when he was trying to get Pharaoh to let his people go. All right, so verse number seven, we're in Revelation chapter eight, and this here is the first 
trumpet, the first angel to sound. Verse number seven. These kind of coincide with the first and the seventh plagues in Exodus 7 and, and Exodus 9. The first angel sounded, and hell and fire followed, mingled with blood. They were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up. All the green grass was burned up. And to think of what ripple effect this is going to have on the earth when a third of the vegetation is destroyed. Like, it's going to be utter chaos, all right? So that's the first. The second trumpet, we see a volcano, again, kind of in, in line with the first plague in Exodus 7, verse number 8. The second angel sounded, and something like a, a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Again, we see here, a third of the sea became blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. Now, at least for me, I've heard the study of Revelation pretty much my entire life. And, and I, maybe it's the older I'm getting that it seems like, wow, this could really happen. It seems like as a kid, it's like, oh, this seems really like a movie. I'm not sure if this could take place. I even think about this particular passage of Scripture talking about, think for a moment if, if right now a third of the ships in the sea you know, millions of cargo containers right now are on ships all over the sea. And if a third of them were to be destroyed, we, we saw what one virus did to our supply chain. Just think what would happen if a third of the ships, if we went home this afternoon and a third of the ships were, to, were destroyed. Okay, I don't even really want to think about it, to be honest. But we see this is what's going to happen. It's going to be utter destruction and chaos all over the world. The third trumpet, verse number 10, the third trumpet, uh, excuse me, the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood and many men died from the water because it was made bitter. And I think for a moment, all the fresh water, a third of our fresh water destroyed. What, what, an, what a ripple effect this is going to have on the nation, right? The, the ecosystem is going to be completely <laughs> turned upside down. It's interesting because uh, this really, just kind of maybe a side note for those of you that like history, but some of you will know April 26, 1986, and some of you will know that date. You remember studying it. Some of you were... Uh, you know, I was 13 at the time, or 12 actually, almost 13 at the time. But you may know the event of Chernobyl. How many of you know the event, right? April 26, 1986. Uh, and I bring it up just because it's kind of an interesting fact that in July of that year, I think it was the New York Times, there was an atheist that wrote about the event of Chernobyl. And in the news article, he quoted the verses we just read, verses 10 and 11 of chapter 8. And he began to think, as an atheist, writing about this event, quoting Scripture in Revelation, because the interesting fact is that Chernobyl means wormwood. So he, was draw- he an atheist, drawing a direct correlation between the events of Chernobyl and what he was reading of future events in Revelation, all right? Now, I don't think it was obviously a full uh, fulfillment of that prophecy, but it's an interesting note to think about. All right, let's keep reading. The fourth trumpet, 
verse number 12. Then the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened, and a third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. Again, this kind of parallels the ninth plague in Exodus chapter 10. Verse 13, and I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe. He said this to the inhabitants of the earth because, so why, why did the angel all of a sudden, like we've seen four trumpets poured out, the wrath of God on creation. The angel says, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, and then it gives us the reason why the angel says, whoa, three times. He says this because, we're in verse number 13, because of the remaining blast of the trumpet of the three angels who are about to sound. In other words, you think things are bad now. Wait. So in, in the study of Revelation, we see the next um, three trumpets, trumpet five, six, and seven, are also known as woe, number one, two, and three, all right, that the angel says, woe. So let's, let's get to the fifth trumpet, or the first woe. I'm trying to say as many numbers as I can to confuse you, all right? The, the fifth trumpet, first woe. And if you think you're confused, I've been confused all week, all right? Chapter nine, <clears throat> then the fifth angel sounded. And I saw a star fallen from heaven to the earth. Okay, and this speaks to a fallen angel. To him who was given a key to the bottomless pit. Okay, the bottomless pit, also known as the abyss. And, and so we see in, in Luke chapter 8, you may remember the story, but Jesus was in the region of the Gadarenes. And there was a demon-possessed man that came to Jesus trying to be healed. And Jesus said, what's your name? And remember what they responded? The demons responded and said, legion, for we are many. And then they said to Jesus, okay, so as we think about this morning, what we're saying, that, that there's power in the name of Jesus, that wonderful is the name of Jesus, that by the name of Jesus, demons will flee, that one day, as was prayed, that every knee uh, will bow and every tongue will confess at the name of Jesus. These demons said to Jesus, we are many, but please do not cast us into the abyss. It's a bad place. In, in fact, Tim LaHaye describes the abyss, or what, what we read here, it says the bottomless pit. Tim LaHaye says this, the abyss serves as a spiritual maximum security prison for the, some of the demons. It's also the place where Satan will be bound during the reign of Christ. And so what happens as the angel, the fallen angel, gets the key to the bottomless pits? These demons have been closed up. And what does it say? Verse 2, smoke arose out of the pit like the smoke of a great furnace. So the sun, of the, the sun and the air were darkened because of the smoke of the pit. Then out of the smoke... Locusts came upon the earth, and to them was given power as the scorpions on the earth have power. They were commanded not to harm the grass of the earth or any green thing or any tree. So you see the shift of the first four trumpets on the earth. Now we shift, and the focus of the judgments is going to be on, on man. Don't harm the grass of the earth or the green thing or the trees. Verse number four then goes on. But only those men who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. 
And I think this is probably specifically referencing what we looked at last week in chapter 7, the 144,000 messianic Jews that are preaching repentance come to Christ. And it says that they would not be harmed. So I think it's probably specifically speaking of them. It may be speaking of all followers of Christ. Ephesians says that when you give your life to Christ, you're sealed by the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. But it does point to the reality that God is in control. That even these worst of the worst demons who've been locked up, who are been freed, God gives them parameters in which to work. And he specifically says this. Look at verse number five. They were not given authority to kill them but to torment them for five months. Their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it strikes a man. In those days, men will seek death and will not find it. They will desire to die and death will flee them. In other words, these locust demon creatures are tormenting mankind. They don't have authority to kill them, but the men want to die because they're in such torment. But God's not going to let them die, all right? Again, we see the judgment of God. Again, we're always going to realize the judgment of God, his purpose is always to lead us to repentance. The discipline of God in my life is always to lead me to repentance. The scripture says that the Lord chastens or he disciplines the ones he, he loves. All right, so let's, let's keep reading here. Verse number, uh, let's go with seven. The shape of the locusts was like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were crowns of something like gold, and their faces were like faces of men. They had hair like women's hair, and their teeth were like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the sound of their wings was like the sound of chariots with many horses running into battle. They had tails like scorpions, they were, and there were stings in their tails. Their power was to hurt men five months. Interesting, I've been told and read that that the average lifespan of a locust is five months. And we see twice here it's mentioned, this is how long they can torment, five months. Verse 11, they had a king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, okay, the abyss, whose name in Hebrew is Abaddon, but in king it is Apollyon, which simply means destroyer or destruction. And then he says, one woe is past. Behold, still two more woes are coming after these things. Now, Verses 7 through 12 um, bring a lot of imagery to mind, right? Like there's these demon locusts of some sort who've been released from the bottomless pit. Their job is to torment those who are not followers of Jesus, but they can't destroy them. They can't kill them. And in verse 7, John tries to describe, again, what he has seen. Future events he's trying to describe in 95 AD. Now, I remember being um, the picture of an Apache helicopter that some would say that I think that John is trying to define and, and to give us a picture of modern warfare. And, a, and, and, and so I started kind of looking last yesterday because they are uh, working on replacements for the Apache uh, helicopter. And I found the helicopter that I think looks a lot like a locust, right? Boeing, that's, that's their new model of attack helicopter. Okay, I just thought it was interesting to point out. I don't know what he's saying here. I would tend to believe that these are actual demons, and he's just trying to describe them. They've been locked up all these years. They've been released. Now, could it be modern warfare that he's trying to describe? Yeah, it could be. 
Does it really matter? No. What, what matters is that God's wrath and judgment is going to be poured on man like never before. And again, I'm thankful that according to Revelation chapter 4, I believe the church will not have to endure that. But the truth is, we may. Some will. There's going to be people who decide to follow Christ in the middle of this. The martyrs, which we read about already in, in our study. All right, let, let's continue reading the sixth trumpet also is known as the second woe. Verse 13, And the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God, saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, Release the four angels who are bound. So we see more fallen angels who've been bound. The voice of Jesus says, Release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared Again, this speaks to God's plan, God's timing, God's purpose. They've been prepared for the hour and day and month and year. They were released to kill a third of mankind. Now the number of the army of the horsemen was 200 million. I heard the number of them, and thus I saw the horses in the vision. Those who sat on them had breastplates of fiery red and blue and yellow, and the heads of the horses were like the heads of lions. Out of the mouth came fire, smoke, and brimstone. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed. They were killed by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which came out of their mouths. What a, what a, what a picture here. We, we read in Revelation chapter 6 that a fourth of mankind was destroyed. Now a third and like at least half of the known world when this takes place will be that the wrath of God will destroy them. What a, what a crazy time it's going to be. Now, we see the heart of God mentioned in verse number 20. But the rest of my, mankind who were not killed by these plagues, they did not repent of the works of their hands, that they should worship demons and idols of gold, silver, brass, stone, and wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. They did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, or their sexual immorality, or their thefts. And what a sad statement that they chose not to repent. And I can't help but think for a moment for us this morning in the room. We see this in the Old Testament, the cycle of the judges, that the nation of Israel would fall away from God he would bring judgment, most oftentimes through heathen, heathen nations. They would repent, then they would fall back into sin, all, all this cycle. And, and I can't help but think that, that, what about me in my own life right now? Are there things in my life, are there things in your life right now that God has been speaking to you about that you need to repent of? And how easy it is for us to read Scripture and say, I cannot believe they would not repent after all they've seen. But we need to internalize this and think in our own life. Are, are there areas in my life that I know don't line up with what Scripture and how Scripture teaches me to live? And how should I respond? How should you respond? Well, repent. Turn back to God. 
Verse number, or excuse me, chapter number 10 kind of, and 11 kind of, we have this interlude similar to chapter 7 as we're walking through the seven seals. I won't have time to unpack all of chapter 10, but you, you can read it, and, and, and God is giving like seven thunders are mentioned, but then he tells John, hey, don't write down, don't, don't share what I'm telling you. In fact, eat the book, and let's not tell anyone what's going to happen, all right? So this is a secret, chapter 10. And then chapter 11, we see the two witnesses. Again, similar to the 144,000, God is always giving people an opportunity to respond to the gospel. Many think that these two witnesses in chapter 11 are Moses and Elijah, couldn't say for definite who they are, but their purpose is to call people to repentance. In verses 2 and 3, we see uh, two different numbers. We see 42 months mentioned in chapter 11, verse number 2, speaking of three and a half years. Now, in chapter 2, these three and a half years speak of the, the second three and a half years of what's known as the Great Tribulation. So the tribulation period, seven years, there's going to be three and a half years of peace, three and a half years of of judgment and war, okay? In verse 3 of chapter 11, speaking of the first three and a half years, it's talking about the two witnesses. They will prophesy, they will call people to repentance is what they're doing, and they will do this for 1,260 days, okay? This is just a few days short of three and a half years, according to our calendar. But according to the Babylonian calendar, they had a 360-day calendar. And what do you know? Three and a half years equal the number that he's just given. So we see three and a half years. These two witnesses are prophesying. They're performing miracles and calling people to repentance. And many people will get saved. The three and a half years of peace is going to end in verse number 7 of chapter 11 when the Antichrist, the great beast, is going to kill them. They're going to lay, the next few verses talk about, they're going to lay in the street for three and a half days dead. And everyone's going to party because these two, who they say have tormented them, giving them the gospel, they're celebrating that they're dead. Then we see in verse number 11 that God calls them back to life and then he raptures them back into heaven. And look what it says in verse number 13. In the same hour, there was a great earthquake. This is when the two witnesses are taken back to heaven. A tenth of the city fell. In the earthquake, 7,000 people were killed, and the rest were afraid. The fear of God fell on them, is what he's saying. They gave glory to God in heaven. Praise the Lord for people giving their life to Christ in this event. All right, the seventh trumpet, the kingdom proclaimed, which is what we finished worship singing about. Verse number 15, the seventh angel sounded. There were loud voices in heaven saying, the kings of the world have become the kings of our Lord and of his Christ. He shall reign forever and ever. The 24 elders who sat before God on their thrones fell on their faces. They worshiped God saying, we give you thanks, O Lord God Almighty, the one who is, who was, and who is to come. Because you have taken your great power and reigned, the nations were angry and your wrath has come at the time of the dead that they should be judged and that you should reward your servants, the prophets of the saints and those who fear your name, small and great, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Verse 19, then the temple of God was opened in heaven. The ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. There were lightnings, noises, thunderings, an earthquake, and a great hill. And what we see in the seventh trumpet is a look forward 
to the reign of Christ. And one day, Jesus, who came as a baby, the Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world, will one day reign as the Lion of the King of Judah. Are you prepared for that day? That's what it comes down to the question. Are you prepared? Again, we are all going to spend eternity somewhere, either in hell or in heaven. And Jesus said in John chapter 14, the way to spend eternity, the way to be prepared for this final destination is that Jesus said he's the way, he's the truth, he's the life. No one gets to Father, no one gets to God, no one gets forgiveness, no one gets reconciliation, no one gets restoration, no one gets a home in heaven except by placing your faith in the work and in the person of Jesus. And if you have never placed your faith in Jesus for all of eternity, can I encourage you today to do it? Because once you leave this earth, or once Jesus raptures his church, your destiny has been set. Your destiny has been set. Last week, I, I made a statement, and I think I impressed some people with my wonderful theological knowledge, so I'm a little proudful, so I want to share it again, all right? Our orthodoxy should fuel our orthopraxy, okay? Don't I sound smart saying that? I, it's, it's either the words or maybe it's the mustache. I don't know. It just, it's just like so good, right? I, oh. I don't really have time. We've got to move on, all right? I had something I want to say, but Joy, my wife has told me not to, so I'm going to listen to the second Holy Spirit in my life. <laughs> Ask me afterwards, I'll tell you. All right, here's a simple way of saying that. What I believe about the future should impact how I live in the present. And our response as followers of Jesus, should, oh man, I'm so glad I don't have to go through that. That seems natural response, and, and it's okay to have the response, but if it stops there, it, fails, it falls short. The response should be, wow, my neighbor needs to know this. My relatives need to know this. My coworker needs to know this. My teammate needs to know this. My classmate needs to know this. My coworkers need to know that if they haven't sealed their destination before they die, they will spend an eternity in a place called hell. If Jesus were to rapture the church today and they don't know Jesus, they're going to go through this seven, seven years of tribulation. And, and it shouldn't just be, wow, thank God I don't have to go through that. It should be. Wow, I don't want my neighbor to go through that. Last week we looked at 1 Thessalonians. How should we live in light of the Lord's return? We'll look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Turn, turn there with me. And we, we pointed out three things. The first 11 verses of 1 Thessalonians 5. And again, 1 Thessalonians is just talking about the day of the Lord, right? The end times, that what's going to happen in the end, and how should we be prepared? And I want you to be ignorant, brethren, he says. And, in, and we looked in the first 11 verses. We made three statements, three things to do while we wait. We should wake up, we should sober up, and we should suit up. Well, let's continue that thought because the chapter continues. I'm going to give you three more action steps this morning. Look at verse 14. Again, we're, we're still in 1 Thessalonians 5. 
We've given you three steps in verse 11. Wake up, sober up, suit up. Verse 14. We exhort you, brethren, warn those who are unruly, comfort the faint-hearted, uphold the weak, be patient with all, see that no one renders evil for evil to anyone. But always pursue what is good, both for yourselves and for all. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. Verse 19, do not quench the spirit, do not despise prophecies, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form of evil. Verse 23, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Are you prepared? He who calls you is faithful, who will also do it. Three action steps this morning. Verse number 14. We should witness. It says there, the one word that just jumped off the page to me was warn. Thousands of people within walking distance of this church are not prepared for their final destination. And we are called as followers of Jesus to go into the world and preach, teach. You shall be witnesses. We should be witnesses. Number two, we see it in verse 15, verse 19, verse 23, really the rest of it is that we should walk. Witness and walk. Pursue what is good for yourselves. Do not quench the spirit. Hold fast to what is good. Abstain from every form of evil. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And how's your walk? The Bible says we're the light of the world, we're the salt of the earth, like there should be something different about us. Again, if we think about what we believe about the future should impact how we live in the present. And how, will, how are we going to know how to walk? You got to get into his word. Walk, witness, the last one, worship. Verse 16, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, and everything give thanks. I believe that if we would walk daily in the word of God, it would lead us to worship our great God. And I don't believe if you're walking and worshiping, you can help but be a witness. Maybe the reason, let me, let me stop talking about you. Let me talk about myself for a moment. Maybe the reason my witness is not as good as it should be is because my walk and my worship are not what they ought to be. And I, I don't know, I just feel like maybe you might be a lot like me sometimes. So three steps. Walk with God every day. Worship God every day. And pray that God will give you an opportunity to be a witness for him every day. Would you close your eyes for a moment? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. We're going to get the opportunity to, to worship God one more time in, in song. But I, I want you just to take for a moment to kind of self-reflect in your own life. How would you evaluate yourself on these three things? How's your 
walk every day? How's your worship every day? And how's your witness? Like we shouldn't be, as the old, the old term, we shouldn't be silent disciples. And, and just like, like God, what, what, do, what do we read there in verse number 20? The sad part was that after all these things, they didn't repent. How sad would it be for you this morning to hear a message, for God to prick your heart to say, you know what, your walk's not where it needs to be. Your witness is, well, you don't have a witness and you fail to worship. You come on church on Sunday and you, you put your hand in the air. But to walk away this morning knowing God is speaking to you of some specific things in your life that maybe you need to repent of and to walk away unchanged. What is God speaking to you about and how will you respond?